History often hasn't fared well for black people who've been able to navigate themselves in white environments and succeed. They have often been considered as sellouts, coons, and tap dancing for massa, especially when the individuals in question show signs of shunning the community they've, they've come from, at a time when their status has elevated in the eyes of white society. Why is this though? What speaks to the resentment one has towards another person elevating? And what speaks to the elevated looking down from the community in which they came? The first dilemma is an interesting one, simply because a black person's success in any environment white dominated usually comes at the detriment of another black person's. But why is this? I believe we can find the answer in the fact that as a black person, we subconsciously feel there's limited avenues for us to ascend in these white environments anyway. So when we see a fellow black person get promotion or get elevated to position in power, that instantly places a glass ceiling on our own aspirations and prolongs the time necessary for us to get what we feel that we deserve. And through this dynamic, we have apparently given birth to something known as the crab in the barrel mentality, which is essentially dragging another black person down immediately when it appears they're on their way up. This is a simple overview of that. But what about the elevated black person turning their back on the community in which they came? This dilemma too is an interesting one, simply because when we break things down, in order for anyone to be accepted into any group, you need to exhibit some alignment with that group's values. And if those values consist of white people being considered up top and black people being considered at the bottom, then one will slowly come round to thinking that themselves. We've seen this a lot, especially with black celebrity who have downplayed systematic injustice towards black people, distancing themselves from issues pertaining to black people and have often refused having a black partner in favour of a partner from a more palatable race. This is indeed very complicated stuff and what I ran through was a limited speck of a far wider picture but nonetheless speaks a lot to what people have come to believe and feel. However with this said, is one capable of ascending through white environments without quote unquote cooning, without turning their back on the community in which they came, whilst all at the same time bringing his black people through? Don't think that this can occur? Well I do, and I think we need to look no further than hip hop icon Jay-Z. It bears the question, do the ends justify the means? Jay-Z in some quarters has been described as a sellout, with some taking particular exception to his subject matter of his music and his overall business acumen. Most notably, his association with the NFL, and people have used this as the grounds to justify their opinion. Jay-Z is a curious case, however. His rise to prominence wasn't typical, especially when you consider the times he started out in. Jay-Z was an independent artist under an independent label which he owned alongside Damon Dash and Biggs at a time when it was considered more stupid than cool to attempt such a feat. This wasn't the age of social media where artists could get a million views in a week. Artists had to instead rely on record labels to promote their music to a mass audience and because of this would get exploited because they would usually have no leverage coming into the deal. But not Jay-Z. Jay-Z for years had been trying to secure a deal himself but because most record labels felt his sound was out of sync with what people wanted, he'd continuously get rejected. 
So he decided to go out himself and form the record label Rockefeller Records, an old day to Rockefeller, the oil tycoon, one of the richest men to ever walk this earth. In an early interview in the now defunct hip-hop magazine, Jay-Z said he wants to keep rap dollars in rap pockets and end the exploitation that was normal of rappers at the time. And this philosophy would serve as a backbone to his ascension through the music industry and business as a whole. What people didn't realise is that Jay-Z only intended to make one album and then go behind the scenes. But because his first album, Reasonable Doubt, was a relative success, major labels now wanted to collaborate with this independent label. One of these major labels just so happened to be Def Jam, a subsidiary of Universal Records, and upon discussions would agree upon becoming 50-50 partners. And as a result, would convince Jay-Z to continue producing albums to satisfy the terms of the deal, but also because he now had major label budget to give himself access to mainstream audiences. This coincided with the untimely demise of Biggie Smalls, who was a massive figure in hip-hop culture, and now created a void in which Jay-Z would come to fill. From that point, Jay-Z will come to sell millions upon millions of records, with each pass of release securing the number one spot on the Billboard 100. But with all that success, financially, a loud minority will come in to rise concerning the content of the music itself. Jay-Z was catering to a mainstream audience which demanded sex, drugs and grand displays of wealth. And this is what he'd supply them. The thing to take heed here is that Jay-Z was seen as a proxy for black culture, a spokesperson, so to speak. And what becomes problematic is when you consider that white people were the predominant demographic actually purchasing the music. So many, so many people saw it as a modern day version of the Mitchell show. But it was more than just that. Because what you find with Jay, as was the case with Tupac, they'd have their lead single catered to the base demands of the people, which would then drag them into the rest of the album, which would be more introspective and insightful. And of that, it stands to reason, would Jay-Z had been able to reach this point if he hadn't compromised and played the game? Because, with his growing influence, he has been able to open the door to other people from his community, so they too could become mag- megastars too. Most notably, Kanye West, Rihanna, Kevin Hart, just to name a few. Is that quote-unquote cooning, or is that playing the game with a wider going mind? I continue... Not only were rappers known for being exploited by record labels, but also fashion labels too. Because let me say this, whatever way we want to look at it, it can't be denied that culture emanates through artists and is shaped by them too. And no other culture comes close to having a social impact in the manner in which hip-hop did, and still does, to this very day. Designers like Tommy Hilfiger have come out and said that he doesn't want black people wearing his clothes. Even though hip-hop was responsible for resurrecting his company, which was on the verge of back bankruptcy, where notable hip-hop figures were seen wearing their apparel. Jay-Z and his team would come against similar forces, who were happy to benefit from the windfall in sales provided by hip-hop, but didn't want any close associations with hip-hop itself. In a particular example, Jay-Z mentioned a fashion retailer by the name of Iceberg, which in and of itself is a form of mass promotion. And as a gesture of goodwill, Jay-Z felt it would be right for them to be compensated with free clothing. When Iceberg denied them this, however, 
this provided the fuel for Jay-Z and his team to create a rival company, Rockaware, which should then be the driving force to push Iceberg out of business, especially when Jay-Z would use his music as the brand's biggest marketing tool. They grew this into a multi-million dollar company and would eventually sell the company in excess of $30 million. There would come a time when Jay-Z would outgrow his rapper gimmick and evolve from Jay-Z the street hustler to Jay-Z the businessman and in this change would mark the end of his business arrangements with Dame Dash and Biggs. Simply because Jay-Z would go on to sell his 17.5 stake in Rockefeller to Jeff Jam making them majority owners of the company and allowing them to buy the company outright. Whilst JC in exchange occupies the position of CEO of Def Jam whilst getting all of the masters to his music. Cutthroat? Arguable. Business savvy? Yes. Jay-Z was the crown jewel of both Rockefeller and Def Jam and it's said that his relationships with Biggs and more notably Dame Dash soured as he felt they weren't bringing as much to the table as he. Putting this aside, his major coup was undoubtedly marrying Beyonce. This has opened doors which arguably wouldn't have been opened otherwise. This is an example of someone marrying someone else who is of equal status, something which is extremely important when considering generational wealth and building the foundations for one's family and legacy, and sets the tone for what I consider to be his magnus opus 444, which essentially provides the blueprint for his black counterparts to achieve wealth for themselves. This moment in itself is monumental especially when you consider Jay-Z's cultural presence and the amount of our people who idolise him. He breaks down the importance of generational wealth and how he looks for his legacy to be continued for his children, most notably Blue Ivy. And since this album, he's grown Tidal into one of the biggest global players in streaming services. It's important to note that Jay-Z no longer has to navigate white environments. White environments need to navigate around him. He has the freedom to say and do as he likes. Through Rock Nation, the music label he's established since leaving Def Jam, he's also created a managerial service which protects the commercial interests of the artists which fall under that umbrella, which ties to his vision from the start as far as keeping rap dollars in rap pockets. And he takes it a step further by paying for the legal fees of rappers who have unfairly come under the scrutiny of the law. As of recently, Jay-Z has received sizable criticism from the black community, namely for his involvement in wanting to work alongside the NFL in light of the activism on the part of Colin Kaepernick. Many feel that this is a spit in the face of Colin, but my question is how? The NFL is mainly occupied by players of African descent, but owned by white Americans. If Jay-Z is potentially joining ranks to increase the representation, is that not a good thing? I don't mean to inject my own personal biases here, but it's important to note that Jay-Z has consistently shown that he takes a wider view into consideration, even if it means he has to compromise somewhat in the beginning. And I don't see why this should be any different, because think about it. If people feel he should have no run-ins with the, he should have no runnings with the NFL due to, the, due to their treatment of the black players, who in terms of the sport are some of the lowest paid, then why should he have ascended in the music industry which has from the very beginning exploited and left destitute the very same black artists who are responsible for its success. 
to me, this speaks back to what was touched upon in the beginning regarding the crab in the barrel mentality, as we are now seeing notable figures within the community speak out against him too. This mentality is something I would like to address in the episode all by itself, but it speaks to a lack of consideration we can put into our analysis of things, alongside resting comfortably on a scarcity mindset. It is important to note that Jay-Z is a billionaire, something which was embedded into the name of his label from the very beginning. And I thought this topic was timely since he's released a project alongside Jay Electronica where he expresses his disappointment about the backlash he got from the very people he was looking to help. There's a Jay-Z line which always follows me and I think should underpin people's judgment of him. And what he says is, I can't help the poor if I was one of them, so I got rich and gave back to me, that's a win-win. And this begs the question, how influential and effective could he have been if he didn't compromise or sell out in the short term to fulfill his wider objectives in the long term? There's a common phrase which goes along the lines of, if you want to help people, you need to meet them where they're at. And in my view, this is a classic case of this here. And it again begs the question, do the ends justify the means? That concludes this episode. Um, I'd like to thank you for tuning in as always. And I hope that you're able to um, extract value from it. Um, please, please, please make sure you download the free ebook, which shows you 40 proven ways to start generating passive income today. Um, you can find the details of how to get that um, in the description of this episode. Um, and make sure um, that you follow us on bmore.co at Instagram. So again, bmore.co, B-M-O-O-R.co. And um, yeah, like, um, you know, please like spread the word about this, this podcast to people who you feel, you know, are on this, are on this wave and um you know can extract value from it as well but um that's it from me and i look forward to to seeing you on the next episode okay cool peace